Kings chapter 9. Anybody enjoying this Elijah series? I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Loving it, loving it, loving it. Loving it like this. 1 Kings 19 from verse 4 onwards. <laughs> what are you shouting about? Oh. But, okay, let's, let's, get, let's get serious now. Let's get, okay, but he himself, this is talking about Elijah. But he himself, when a day's journey into the desert, came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, it's enough, I've had enough. Now, Lord, take my life, I'm no better than my father's there. And then he went to sleep under the tree, and suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Thank God for angels. Seriously, thank God for angels. Wow. And he looked, and there by his head was a cake that had been baked and, and coals, and, um, and, and there was a jug of water. And he ate, and he drank, and he went to sleep again. And then the angel of the Lord came back second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. Thank God for angels. Thank God for angels coming back. said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and he ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days, <coughs> excuse me, and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave. He spent a night in that place and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts and for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left and they seek to take my life. Then he said, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by Elijah and a great and strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire was a still, small voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle. He went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets. Uh, 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 they've killed the prophets with the sword. I alone am left. I'm the only one. And they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the desert of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazel as king over Syria and you shall anoint uh, Jehu the... Uh, son of Imshi uh, over Israel and Elisha the son of Snapchat of Abel Mahola you shall anoint I thought I'd better put some life in the place quickly some of you have gone to sleep the son of <laughs> of Abel Mahola and you shall anoint him as prophet in your place and it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazel that Jehu will kill and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet I've reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth who has not kissed him. Amazing passage of scripture. Today I want to speak on the power of the still small voice. Here's Elijah. I'm confused. 
I'm fed up. I'm despondent. I just want to die. We covered this last week, so I'm not, I'm not going to preach it all again. If you were not here last week, it's really important that you hear last week's message. And um, here, here, Elijah is facing a full-on attack from the spirit of Jezebel. A full-on attack. No holds barred. He's not just having a bad day. He's not just had a few things go wrong. The plan of the enemy right now is to absolutely destroy Elijah. And everything he's done, everything his life has added up to, to this point, enemy wants to wipe out. There's manipulation, there's intimidation, there's fear, there's isolation, there's exhaustion, there's depression. Thank God Elijah's fed and strengthened. The angels come as we've seen and then he journeys for 40 days to God's mountain, Horeb. Some of us would know that as Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments were given on the mountaintop. So it's a pretty significant place. I'm so glad that Elijah knew where to go. I'm so glad he knew where to go. Some people have no clue where to go. They go to EastEnders. Perhaps they go to drug addiction. Perhaps they go to sex and porn. They don't know where to go when all hell's breaking loose. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. But we know where to go. We know where to go. Lift your eyes above the darkness. For the Lord has risen upon you, the Bible says. He's, he's, his glory shining. But you've got to lift your eyes above the darkness. You can't keep focusing on the problem. You can't keep focusing on the bad news. Oh, well, Pastor Joe, you've just got to be authentic. Well, I can't find a verse in the Bible that says just be authentic. I find a verse in the Bible that says walk by faith. Stand by faith. We've got to get the world's language out of our language, guys. Because when you adopt the world's language, you adopt the world's mindset. Hello? Just saying. <laughs> 40 days he goes. Thank God the angel fed him. Now, that's, that's a tough journey sometimes. You've got to stir everything up to go to encounter God. You can't just go for five minutes next door. It's like, no, this is, a, this is it. This is, this is my time. This is my moment. See, sometimes you've got to understand your moment, your season. And not let it be stolen away from you. Not let it be, you know, the Bible says the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. Don't let him steal your opportunities. And the word of God comes to him and I'm going to go through this passage really quite strongly today, but. God's word comes to him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Let's just say, what are you doing here? Let's all say, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Now, I've already explained, here is the mountain of God. So we'll get onto that in a minute. But 
what are you doing here? I want to ask us the question, what are you doing here? I'm not talking about church right now, I'm talking about here. What is here? What are you doing here? What's, what's here? Well, here can be three things. What are you doing here in this position? What position are you in? What brought you to the place that you're in the position you're in? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? That, could, that here could be a place of, I don't know, despondency. It could be a position of debt. It could be a position of family trouble. What are you doing here? What, what brought you to here? I'm not, again, I'm not talking about physically here on a Sunday morning. What are you doing here? How could you define here for your life? As a position, there are... There are great examples in the Bible where, where you know, Jehoshaphat, stand, position yourself and watch to see what God is going to do. You see, where you're positioned, the position you're in is vitally important to determine what God is and is able to do in us and through us. Where you're positioned. What are you doing here in this position? What's the next thing about here? What are you doing here in this mindset? What are you doing here in this mindset? We teach a lot about mindsets in this church. As a man thinketh in his heart, which affects your mind, your soul, renew your mind and your life will be transformed. Mindsets can be incredibly empowering or they can be completely restricting or they can be destructive. Mindsets. What are you doing here in this mindset? Oh, you know what? Everybody else gets set free except me. That's a mindset that needs to be put to death. That's a transformation that needs to take place. Oh, you know what? Everything's gone wrong and you know what? No matter. The Bible says whatever I put my hand to prospers, but you know what? Wherever I put my hand seems to go wrong. That's a mindset that needs to be shifted. What are you doing here in this mindset? What mindset is it? Well, you know what? Everybody else is fine but me. I just, I just expect the worst. Nothing's going to happen for me. I'm too old. I'm too young. Mindsets. What are you doing here in this mindset? And the third thing we can understand about what are you doing here is what are you doing here in this season? What are you doing here in this season? What season are you in? Sometimes seasons you need to get out of. It's like, no, we're moving. We're, we're getting out of this 40 years in the desert. We're going through the Jordan right now. Striking camp, we're getting out of this season. So your position, your mindset, and your season is your here. You getting this? Yeah? Okay. So God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now we understand he's here on the mountain of God. And so we can ask the question, what are you doing here in church? What are you doing here in your relationship with God? What are you doing here? There were some people that were here in the presence of God, not up the mountain, but down the bottom of the mountain, who decided to make some golden calves. <laughs> I mean, they were at the mountain of God. Wow. That was a bad choice, wasn't it? What are you doing here? Well, Elijah had no proper answer. <laughs> he 
He had no proper answer. You know what he said? It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. Everyone else is the problem. I'm the only one left. They want to kill me. I've done what I'm supposed to do. It's all about me, 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 me. It's all about me. You know what? That's just what the enemy wants. For the Christian to think and to live like the victim. I preached some years ago about dealing with a victim mentality as a message, probably six, seven years ago. And, um, you know, it's a very sneaky thing, the victim mentality. It basically says, it's been done to me. It's been done to me. Yeah, but the economy. Yeah, but the benefit. Yeah, but the plane. Yeah, but the this. Yeah, but what they said. Yeah, but what somebody did. Yeah, but, yeah, but. No. Never, ever play with a victim mentality. Never play with it. Never give it an inch. Never, just never. The amount of times in a conversation I say to people, uh, stop playing the victim. Don't be the victim. Come on, don't talk like a victim. Because we're not victims. We are victors in Jesus. Amen? So that's, that's just who we are. We are positioned in the victory. We have the mindset of the victory. And whether we're going through a valley or a mountaintop, whether we're going through a fire, through the flood, or we're out the other side of that particular experience, we're in a season of victory. Because we're always in a season of victory. Because that's what the cross provided 2,000 years ago. This was the most important redefining time instance for Elijah's life. Everybody has a moment of redefinition. Everybody. Everybody. Abraham, Isaac, Israel to the limp, the fighting with God, Jacob to Israel. Everybody has a redefining. Isaiah, hungry for God, has a vision. The coal touches his lips. Redefining moment. Jonah going down, it says, and God came to him, turned him, well, ate him first, ate him up, spat him out, and sent him off to Nineveh. Redefining moment. I think that would redefine anyone's life being eaten by a fish. <laughs> Certainly redefine mine. I don't like the smell of fish. <laughs> Redefining moment. I'm sure you and I have all had defining moments. Times in our lives. Not just the day of salvation when we gave our life to Jesus. Perhaps there are people here today and you've not given your life to Jesus yet. That is the most significant redefining moment of, of all eternity. It determines everything, whether you end up going to spend eternity with Jesus or you spend eternity apart from Jesus. And that's a pretty hefty redefinition. It's actually, the Bible says, that is a recreation. 
But even after that experience and after, after that time when you said, Jesus, come into my life, be my Lord, be my Savior, I give my life to you. I turn away from living like this and I'm going to live like that. That's what it is to be born again, the Bible says. that you Your life is turned around by the Holy Spirit as you make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. It's not just a cleaning up or turning over a new leaf. It's a recreation of a human life. But after that time, there will be times of redefining. Redefining. This church has been through a couple of significant times of redefining. One started in 1999 and took four years, five years. And it sort of happened, as it were, over a season, of course. But it sort of happened in 2004. Incredible redefining of the church. Was anything wrong with Elijah up to this point? No, he's doing everything right, as we covered last week. But there was a moment of redefining. We had another huge redefining in this church, 2014, going on into 2015. Major redefining of the church. Fantastic. Amazing things that God does. But the only place you can really redefine what am I doing here is in the presence of Almighty God. It's the only place that gives true redefining of our lives is in the presence of God. Elijah had put God in a box. And he'd become the victim. But God was about to blow the lid off of all of that. <laughs> I'm excited for what God's doing. I'm excited for what God's doing in the UK. I'm excited for what God's doing around the world. If there are examples where we put God in a box, I believe God wants to blow the lid off the box. In fact, he wants to blow up the whole box. <laughs> He said, I will not give my glory to anything else or to anybody else. So Horeb, Sinai, the mountain of God, Elijah comes to the presence of God. He's escaping from this, this attack. He knew where to run. But he still came in with this mentality that God had to shift. And the Bible says he came into a cave. Now, it's not like a, a full-on cave. It's more like a cleft of the rock, more like a cupped hand in the rock. A cleft, a little enclave, a hollow. The Bible says we're in the hands of God. And as he came, to the, came into the presence of God, he came to the same place that somebody had come centuries beforehand when the children of Israel had come out of Egypt through the Red Sea they'd come into the desert supposed to be just a, a 12 day 11 12 day journey ended up being 40 years but the man of God goes up the mountain and he goes into a cleft of the rock well he goes up onto the mountain he gets the Ten Commandments and then and then in Exodus 32, 33, it says he goes back up the mountain and he says, God, I'm not going to move unless your glory goes with me. Unless your presence goes with me, I'm staying put. And the Bible says 
that he was in the cleft of the rock. I don't know if it was the same one. But you know what? When you're seeking God, make sure you go to where you know God will be. Because this is your moment. This is your time. This is, this is the time God's going to propel you into your new season. And I believe that for people here today. I believe it for the church. I actually believe it for the nation. This is a new season. 1 Kings 19 verse 11, Elijah is in the cleft of the rock and he's up there and he's the victim and he's, and he's feeling sorry for himself and he just wants to die and, and all of that is going on. And God says to him, go out. He says, go out. Verse 11. I'll read it again, just in case we'd forgotten that. He said, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord. He said to go out. It's interesting. God said, go out, but Elijah didn't go out. (laughs) If you read the story through, he didn't go out. God said, go out, but he didn't go out. He stayed in the cleft of the rock. He said, I'm not moving. (laughs) I'm staying here. He goes out later, but he doesn't go out then. What starts happening is the presence of God starts to move. Things start to happen. God starts to make some things happen. The first thing that we hear of is that there's the rushing mighty wind. And it says it tore the mountain apart. Smashed rocks. I mean, this is a heavy, heavy move. Now, does God ever show up in a rushing mighty wind in the Bible? Absolutely, yes. This is a legitimate way for God to move, amen? Number of times God moves and there's wind and there's the power of God. But it says God was not in the wind, but he certainly sent the wind that day. Then we find there was an earthquake. Again, mountains moving. Rocks are smashing. Things are splitting. Are there other times when God turns up as an earthquake in the Bible? Absolutely, yes. Up on the mountain top, when the Ten Commandments are given, the Bible says there are earthquakes going on. So God's presence is certainly being revealed here. Absolutely. And then the third thing is there's the fire of God. And man alive, if you've been around us when we're praying, it's like God send your fire. Let there be fire. You know, the Lord Jesus said that he'd come to send fire on the earth. Well, send some in City Gate Church, Lord. (laughs) Send some in London. Church on fire. But the Bible says God wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. You see, the demonstrations of God will never bring about the redefining in our lives. The only thing that will redefine our lives is hearing the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. The only thing. Now, I love the, I love the presence of God and what happens when God's presence comes. And I, I, am, I am so hungry for that. But my prayer is not, oh God, 
We want experiences. Now experiences happen and they come and I'm so thankful for them. And when God pours out his spirit, of course people fall on the floor and buildings shake and fire falls and all sorts of amazing things happen. But way, way, way over all of that is the still small voice of God being led by the Holy Spirit. The still small voice of the Holy Spirit on the inside. It speaks of an intimacy with God. See, anybody can experience and be around the earthquake. Anyone can be around the fire. I mean, I know things get burned up and purified. Of course, these things will affect people's lives. But only the people that hear the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit really have that intimacy with God. And having an intimacy with God is the one thing that is going to redefine our lives. You get anything out of this today, yeah? This was the most surprising occurrence on the mountain that day. There's Elijah. I mean, he's raised the dead. He's called down fire. It's all pretty big stuff, really. Brooks and ravens and oil and Miracles and all that. He's quite you know, familiar with the power of God moving. And I'm so glad as a church we're quite familiar in a good way of the, of the power of God moving. And I don't ever, ever, ever want to compromise the power of God moving through the life of Citygate Church. And the body of Christ in the nation. We want to be familiar with that in a good way. The Apostle Paul said, I didn't come with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power. So it's vitally important that the power of God is at work in our lives. But you know what? You can be prayed for and have hands laid on you and have a great prophetic word and the most incredible power and knocked over by the power of God and under the presence and the influence of the Holy Spirit and go out and tomorrow live life like nothing's ever happened. It's only the still small voice of the Holy Spirit which redefines our lives. See, God had been incredibly patient with Elijah, incredibly gracious, incredibly gentle. Didn't rebuke him. Covered this last week. God didn't, how dare you feel like this? He didn't have a go at him. But the most surprising thing is when God spoke with a still, small voice. (coughs) He spoke in the most unique way. I believe God will always respond to us in the most unique way. You know, how God wants to speak to you will be different from how he wants to speak to me. What God wants to do with you will be different to what God wants to do with me. But it will all come from how we hear the still small voice of God. I don't want God to have to shout to get through to me. I don't know about you, but that's, that's just, I don't want... Melfi! <laughs> We're off 
doing something or, yeah, hey I won't shout because I'll upset you all. <laughs> I don't want him to have, to have to shout to get through to me. Over all the noise of life, distraction, issues, challenges, hobbies. And it's as if God had to say, you know what? It's very easy to see the fire and see the earthquake and feel the effects of the rushing mighty wind. But Elijah, if anything's going to really change, it's this last one that you need to get hold of. The still small voice. And when he heard the still small voice, what did he say? What are you doing here, Elijah? It's the same thing. You see, he'd already heard it once. He'd already heard God say, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he's done, it's all about me and everyone else is the problem and there's no other prophets, everyone else is dead, I'm the only one, they want to kill me and oh God, I just want to... And God had to say, right, you want some, some powerful stuff going on? Earthquake, wind, fire, boom! Shaking everything. And don't just think Elijah was just sitting there going, oh, fun what's going on out there he was clinging on for dear life <laughs> I wish I hadn't said anything the rocks were splitting the mountain was shaking he's going man alive I thought I was a victim now I'm toast <laughs> this is it and God got all that out of the way shook everything and when Elijah was finally able to breathe again, it's like, oh. I don't know, when you've been through some horrendous, perhaps shaking or, or something or whatever's going on, afterwards you sort of go, oh. I just want to sit down. I come home and I just say, I just want to sit down. Even though I've sat down here in my office or sat down in the car or whatever, you know, there's a different sort of sitting down. You know the sitting down I'm talking about? You just sort of sit down. And for me, I'll put on a classic car show on TV and watch somebody restore something and hit a bit of metal. It's just great. It's just, I enjoy that. It's a different sort of sitting down. It's just like, <sighs> all the stuff just... And I hear that still small voice again. You need to buy a classic car. <laughs> it's great. I love it. I love that still small voice. It's what I believe in the Lord, Sharon. <laughs> and Elijah wrapped his face in his mantle. Same question. The same thing was being asked. The same thing. The question had not changed, but something was starting to change. Elijah wrapped, I've got a mantle over here. That's what it is, the jacket, that's all it is. 
So you had it on. What are you doing here, Elijah? Everybody else is the problem. Everything starts to shake. And it was so life-changing. <laughs> Elijah wraps his face in his mantle. What was he doing? It's just so many things. He was cutting out all outside distraction. When you're in a time of redefining, wrap your face in your mantle. Just cut out all distraction, all outside influence. That's the first thing it does, but really where this, I believe, really finds its, its most important understanding is he was in absolute awe of God. Absolute awe of God. You know, when I'm in that real holy presence of God, I, I, you know, I need to get on my face physically. There's something about you want to sort of just, it's not hiding from God. It's not a hiding from God. It's a, it's a, Holy awe of God. Because God is almighty. He's all powerful. I'm so thankful I can call him my father. I'm so thankful I can come in with a confidence and a boldness. But when I'm in, he's overwhelming. What did it mean when he wrapped his face in his mantle? Well, your face, I could get really deep in this now. I'm not going to spend time. His face is really his identity. It's who he, he is, Elijah. Your face speaks of who you are. But the mantle is your purpose, your anointing, your, your function. And he bound it all together. He put his face in his purpose, his purpose around his face. And he presented himself to God. This was an all of me moment. It wasn't just my face. Here I am as a person. It wasn't just his ministry. Here's the ministry, God. It was, this is everything about me. This is me as a dad. This is me as a husband. This is me as a pastor. This is me as a musician. This is me as a... This is me. Everything I am, everything I have, everything I do, whether it's something that I was born with or something you've given me. Absolutely everything. Wrap it all together, God, and I'm here on your mountain. You see, what will really change your life is a deep, intimate relationship. Presenting everything to God and say, God, you've got access to everything. You've got access to all of me. This is who I am and this is what I do. 
What does God say? Well, there's this whole conversation that goes on. Once he's wrapped himself in the mantle, once he's, he's in the presence of God, God says a number of things. Number one, God puts everything into perspective. That was really important because Elijah had got it all out of whack. All out of perspective. He put almighty God in a box. I thought, God, I was going to destroy the prophets, call down rain, everybody would repent, and it will be happy days. I do this, God, you do that. See, there's a greater plan than just the little bit we see. There's a greater plan. What God says is, he says, I want you to go back. I want you to go back. Turn around, go back the way you've come. I want you to go back because I want to finish what I've started. That's what God said to him. I want to finish what I've started. You want to forget it all and say, it's a problem. Well, he said, no, I'm not finished yet. You didn't see what I can see. You thought it only went up to there, but I see all of this still, still needs to take place. Involving some other people and some other things which need to go on. You just thought fire, rain, that's it. But no, I've got a bigger plan. And God has got a bigger plan than your experience. God has got a bigger plan, a greater plan than your experience. And your purpose is far greater than your current experience. We know the Bible says, for my plans are not your plans. My ways are not your ways and my thoughts your thoughts. But the good thing is God sends his word that we can find out his plan. That we can find out his ways. That we can discover how God does things. See, God's will is so often set in the word of God. Absolutely. And we never question the will of God. Well, we can, we can say God, you know, we can ask about his will. But it's declared, lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. His will is clear. But his way needs to be found out. His way. How do you want to fulfill your will this time, God? How do you want to do it? This is where the still small voice is vitally important. We know God's will, but we need clarity on God's way. So often, God's way is far more creative, far more powerful, far more dynamic. It's a journey of discovery. And the still small voice is absolutely vital to finding out God's ways. Is this okay? Number two. What's the next thing that God does and God says? God reveals the next steps. He clearly defines, clearly says what Elijah is supposed to do next. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't hear God clearly like that every day. Probably not every week, probably not every month. Anoint him, anoint him, anoint him, do this, do that. I mean, this, this is like someone is talking to you. I hear God's voice from the word of God every time I read it. 
Absolutely. His word goes in, that, that general word. But when you, when you tune in to the still small voice, you start to get the definite steps. Do I do this or do that? You do that. You go there. You go here. You come here. You do this. You do that. You say this. Very, very, very definite. And actually, God answers his own question. This is interesting. God's asked Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah kind of just doesn't answer. He just hasn't got a proper answer. But God answers his own question. He basically says, right, you're here in this position. Do you remember we talked about three positions? The three here's. There's the position, there's the mindset, and there's the season. God addresses all of these things with Elijah. He says, right, the position you're in is a position of breakthrough. This is it. This is a moment of change. I want you to raise up Elisha in your place. I want you to lay hands on him, pour oil on him. He's going to have twice as much. God didn't go through all this, but just to give us the overview. He's going to get twice as much as what you've got. This is a moment of release. Go and find Elisha. He dealt with the mindset. He said, there's a bigger plan here. God's plan was to turn the whole nation, get hold of the 7,000 others. I mean, God was thinking big here. And he said, go and anoint Hazel. Now, Hazel was a pagan king. Completely off of Elijah's radar. I mean, he just thought fire. Blah, blah, blah. God was saying, no, I got a world plan. And it's somebody you would never choose. And the guy never came to Christ. Never got saved. Was going to war against Israel. And, what, and Elijah had to anoint him. God's not in a box. Oh, man. Church has got to wake up. We so often put God in a box on national and international events and say, well, that could never be God. And it absolutely is God. Wow. Anoint Hazel. You what? Him? That ungodly person? God said, he's my man. And then God defined the season as well. He said, I want you to anoint Jehu. Now, what was that all about? I think it's very interesting that God had ordained that Jehu was going to destroy Jezebel, not Elijah. Elijah exposed it. Elijah had to deal with it. Elijah had, in some ways, authority over it. But Jehu was the man who was going to destroy and end our whole season of manipulation and control in the kingdom of God with the people of God. I mean, this is, this is fascinating to me. Why didn't Elijah just go back and stick her with the sword? No, because he said, I want there to be a new king. I want there to be new authority. This is a whole new season because if you did it, we wouldn't have a line of kings. We need a new line of kings who know how to deal with this. And when Jehu was raised up, he, I mean, he didn't just go against Jezebel. There was, there was Jezebel. He wiped out all of Ahab's family. Seventy sons. Jehu wiped out. 
70 sons. It's unbelievable what the... Oh, I absolutely believe it. Stupid thing to say. I repent, Lord. I'm so sorry. It's very believable what Jesus did here. Why do we say some of the stupid stuff we say? Man? I know you would never do that. It's amazing. Let's use that word. He absolutely destroyed the stronghold and then there was a new king. I want to ask us today, and as we close, let's have the band up. This, this incredible, incredible encounter that Elijah had in the cleft of the rock was absolutely life-changing, absolutely nation-changing, season-changing, mindset-changing, position-changing. He realized he was positioned for breakthrough. He realized he was positioned for a new mindset. And he was to start a new season. All from the still small voice. There's so much I could say about hearing from God. How do we hear from God? But I didn't want to go there this morning. We hear from God because we set ourselves apart. And we go into his word and we pray and we, or, you know. That's what we do. But there's this, I suppose a question I want to ask today, what are you tolerating? What are you tolerating in your life? What are you tolerating? I'm just putting up with. I hate the word tolerate and tolerance. And, and, and all. It's just, it just, it speaks of the wrong thing in the kingdom of God. It's like coping. What are you coping with? We don't cope. Thus saith the Lord, thou shalt cope with things. No, it's not. You don't cope. You face it. You deal with it. You hear the still small voice and you raise up Jehu who tramples on it. What are you tolerating? That's what God asked the church that we read last week. You tolerate Jezebel. Now, last week we dealt with, I understand we dealt with this. But in some ways today I want to go a bit further. There's a bigger picture. What are you tolerating? What are you tolerating in your family? What are you tolerating in your marriage? What are you tolerating in your kids? What are you tolerating in your business? What are you tolerating in your mind? What are you tolerating? Because I believe the still small voice today wants to deal with it. I want to ask another question. Will you run into the cleft of the rock and wrap your face in your mantle? Will you wrap your face in your mantle? This is an all of me moment. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. And it's not a all of me moment when it's like, yeah, let's have a good shake. Fire! It's an all of me moment when it's just like, shh. It's an all of me moment when you stop saying, yeah, but God, 
yeah, but this and yeah, but that. Yeah, I tried and it didn't work, or she didn't work, or it didn't work, or they didn't work, or blame this and blame that. Just now, come on. It's an all of me moment when we say, God, I present my life, everything, my life, myself, my skills, my abilities, everything I am. And the last question is, will you go back and finish what God started? Don't leave it. There's a time to repent. There's a time to say, sorry, God, I put you in a box. Put you in a box. And then I got upset that the box I put you in didn't turn out my way. Give you till Thursday to break through. If you don't break through on Thursday, that's it. No, don't put God in the box. God's bigger than any box you want to put him in. He's got a bigger picture. He wants you to anoint Jesus. Hazel. Elisha. Let's all stand to our feet, shall we, today? Come on, let's have a let's have a still small voice moment here right now. Wrap your face in your mantle. Come on, let's all close our eyes in this moment. Just present ourselves to God. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs>